Do you manage your own IT for distributed teams in Asia? And you know how painful it is. Esavel helps your in-house team by taking cumbersome tasks off their hands and giving them the tools to manage IT effectively. Get help across eight countries in Asia Pacific from on and offboarding, procuring devices, to real-time IT support and device management. With our state-of-the-art platform, gain full control of all your IT infrastructure in one place. Our team of IT support pros are keen to help you grow. So check out esevel.com and get a demo today. Use our referral code ASIA for three months free. Terms and conditions apply. The Global Adoption Index is something that we put out once a year, and it comes strictly within the research domain. And it's our attempt to really elucidate just how much activity is happening around the world. Crypto is a global asset with activity in over 150 countries around the world. But people feel like it's a black box because they don't really understand who are these crypto users? Where are they? But in reality, we don't have answers to those questions because we don't have survey data around them. The government does not collect that data. So it feels like a black box, but it's kind of a created black box in its own right. And we're kind of trying to show that that's not the case, that there's a lot of transparency here and we can we can see where adoption is happening and we can see which countries are the leaders in crypto adoption. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the premier podcast dedicated to dissecting the pulse of business technology and media in Asia. I'm Bernard Leung, and there is an ongoing narrative that Asia is leading the global crypto activity. To help me analyze and decipher Asia's current crypto activity, we have Kim Grauer, Head of Research at Chainalysis, to share with us the recent Global Crypto Adoption Index 2023. Kim, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. And you're my first guest from Chainalysis. I've been following the reports that you have been published and I'm pretty much a fan of your company. So today we're going to have a pretty interesting conversation. And so to always start, we always want to dive into our guest origin history. How do you start your career and eventually end up just before Chainalysis? Well, I'm actually, I've been at Chainalysis a very long time since the early days of the company. I just passed six years, which is a long time in, in crypto days. I was previously working for city government, but it had a side interest in cryptocurrency and had done actually a research paper on game theory and crypto adoption in my graduate studies. And so that was kind of lingering in the side of my mind. And while I was at city government, they started to get a little bit involved in crypto efforts, for example, funding blockchain weeks or thinking about how to make New York City a hub for tech talent. And I was participating in some of those efforts. And then I just made the full leap after getting lunch with the with the founder one day and asking if I could if I could make crypto my full time job. And I've been doing research ever since. Mm. Wow. So you have a very interesting uh, background coming from government and then now you're doing research onto how people are adopting crypto, using crypto, or even analyzing what trends are going on. So just pretty interesting. And usually for some of my younger audience out there, what are the lessons in your career journey that you can share with my audience? I think for me, the biggest kind of aha moments have been around the concept you don't get what you don't 
ask for and there and just be a part of the things that interest you. It's never too late. I got into data science a little bit late in life and there was a lot of murmurs in my mind that, oh, I'm I'm over the hill. It's too late for me to to jump into crypto, let alone data science. But that's all a lie. <laughs> no one's ever too late to do anything. You should just dive headfirst into things that interest you and ask questions later. I'm very much a move fast and break things kind of person. And sometimes it does go wrong, but most of the times it goes right. And you definitely learn a lot along the way. So which comes to the main subject of the day, and I'm going to take the learn and be curious mindset, just like you do to talk about the global crypto adoption index 2023. So I probably wanted to start off maybe for some of my audience who might not know what Chainalysis is. Can you provide me a global comprehensive overview of Chainalysis and its global mission and vision? Chainalysis is the data platform in cryptocurrency. What that means is we have been around, like I said, for seven, eight, nine years, and we identify the addresses that services control. And this allows us to have a really strong sense of everything, of what's going on in the crypto domain. And we repackage that data up and sell it in a variety of products to help people engage safely in the crypto ecosystem. For my purposes, I'm interested in this data for research and for understanding what are trends in crime, what are trends in global adoption. And our mission is to allow people all around the world to safely engage in crypto, which so they would use Chainalysis software if you're a cryptocurrency exchange and you need to remain compliant and you don't want to facilitate terrorist financing or sanction evasion, we would allow you to prevent that by letting you know what the source of funds are that are entering your platform. It's the same logic for any service that wants to safely engage in crypto and for governments or for investigators who are who are tracking down criminal investigations. This is a comprehensive transaction network. So if you're an investigator, you're going to want, want to get your hands on this data set. There's these expressions, follow the money in mm. crime. And that's that's what we do. The Global Adoption Index is something that we put out once a year, and it's uh, comes strictly within the research domain. And it's our attempt to really elucidate just how much activity is happening around the world. Crypto is a global asset with activity in over 150 countries around the world. But people feel like it's a black box because they don't really understand who are these crypto users? Where are they? But in reality, we don't have answers to those questions because we don't have survey data around them. The government does not collect that data. So it feels like a black box, but it's kind of a created black box in its own right. And we're kind of trying to show that that's not the case that there's a lot of transparency here and we can we can see where adoption is happening and we can see which countries are the leaders in crypto adoption. Mm. I'm quite curious, like what are the data sources which you use to build the global crypto adoption index? Is it just on-chain data or is it just any source of data that you that is within the realms of public and maybe some of your own proprietary data as well? It's chain analysis proprietary data. All transaction mm. volume across all services that accept cryptocurrency combined with web traffic data that allows us to get specific on where in the world transactions are happening. So if there's a service that is doing billions of dollars in transactions each year, we can and we can see through web traffic that, oh, 90 percent of the people visiting that business are in Nigeria, then mm. we're able to put to assign transaction activity to countries specifically. 
Mm. I've also read part of the global crypto in adoption index for this year. So maybe let's start from the global first. What are the key takeaways from this year's index? The key takeaways are that there's countries in every single region around the world are are at the top of the index for totally different reasons. Central and Southern Asia is the most represented in the top 10 countries. We have India at the very top of the index. We also have Pakistan, we have Philippines. And I think that the kind of the read between the lines of this is that crypto is solving for something for many different things, currency, devaluation, social networking, cultural phenomenons, gambling, gaming, stable store of value, institutional investment, portfolio diversification. Crypto is filling in the gaps in every single economy around the world in a very specific and niche way. And it can do so it can do a lot and it is doing a lot for different countries. It's interesting you talk about each country having different types of uh, usage of um, blockchain, crypto or Web3, depending on which one of the uh, year people call it in different ways. But one of the things I got and it's also part of the report is that when you talk about the the regions of Southern Asia, or we call it India plus Southeast Asia plus Australia plus New Zealand, they made yeah. out about 20% of the global crypto activity. One question that's really on my mind is, I do know what some of them are doing there, but what are the users within this geography that's leading this increase in activity and how much of the activity is just due to just retail and institutional investors in the Asia-Pacific trading on crypto platforms? Yeah, that's a great question. And this is the most common question because people have a lot of trouble thinking, well, what are people, I don't use crypto, so what could other people possibly be using crypto for? And because of the limitations of our data, we can't, so we'll see a transaction on an Indian exchange and we can't ask the person, why did you do that transaction? I wish we could ask every the intention behind every transaction because that could represent so many different things. We can look at the transaction size. So was it was this a deposit address that received hundreds of transfers a month, less than $1,000? Or was it one $10 million transfer? And then you can kind of make deductions from there. So we we have to leverage interviews with people around the world, and we carry out very rigorous interviews with stakeholders in each region. And I'd say the biggest has to do with investment. And I think that some people take for granted that, oh, if you put your money in crypto, you're kind of YOLOing and gambling, and you're just this high-risky kind of person who is just maybe... I guess there's a perception of greed and not wanting to work. But in reality, what we're seeing is a very natural instinct for people to sustainably grow their wealth. And not everyone around the world has the same access to equities markets or investment opportunities that I do or that maybe you do. Mm -hmm. And so crypto is offering more opportunities to invest and for people to pursue that natural instinct to to have to be able to put your wealth in a place where it's going to be able to grow over time. And especially in places where you face currency devaluation, or you don't have traditional equities markets, or maybe you don't have a bank account, 
or your black your your maybe regulations are preventing you from holding a certain amount of money this becomes more attractive we also heard though about a lot of international commerce particularly with certain hotspot regions in central and southern asia maybe counterparties with hong kong for example businesses are transacting are carrying out business settlements using stable coins because it's instantaneous it's fast it's it's cheaper and you can get you can really kind of lubricate the wheels of commerce using cryptocurrency between countries where banking systems might be misaligned or there might be delays or there might be a someone who has a bank account issue and so this is really creating more efficiencies in global transaction and we heard about we heard about that a lot in central and southern asia but then you also have your gaming you have your gambling you have your defi mm. and you have that as well Mm. And I also know that in a recent talk given by Nick Carter, who's from Casa Island Ventures in Token 2049, that I think 10% of crypto is now due to stable coins. And actually the use of stable coins, actually like what you mentioned about currency devaluation is a pretty big problem in emerging markets. If I also do know, like, for example, in Argentina, people hold stable coins or even using Bitcoin or Ethereum as their actual currency to go against their own Argentina pesos as, as such. So one, one curious question I probably always ask my guests, what is the one thing you know about the blockchain activity in the Asian Pacific that very few people do? The one thing, oh my gosh, I will say I wish I could spend all of my time diving into each different country mm. and region. And I would say my the area of focus and interest for me lately in the Asia Pacific markets are trying to learn how to quantify informal market activity, the gray markets, stuff that people don't think about. This is a huge part of of our economy, stuff that's unreported or underreported or just informal transactions. And it kind of gets forgotten about because it doesn't appear in those high level stats. But the informal markets are a huge part of our of our global marketplaces, and crypto is taking its place in this domain. And I think that I think that the scale and size and power of these in the APAC region, in particular, is is probably larger than even I'm aware of. And I think that it's little discussed because it's a data gap. It's a data. It's a. It's a. It is a more of a black box for data, and for and it is also a problem in the non-crypto space. So what's happening in informal markets using regular fiat currencies is something that people study their spend their whole lives writing dissertations on, trying to figure out what's happening with with those with those types of flows. Mm. And also as a Enjoy investor in the Web3 space myself, one of the things as I use it as a leading indicator is actually the amount of activity I see in developer events, which actually to my surprise, even in last year, 2022, where everybody in the US is talking doom and gloom, I was the 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 parties are still increased with a lot of people and people are talking about building applications. So it's something that I find it also very surprising even for myself when I'm looking at some of the activities that are going on. So one, one curious thing I wanted to know is that, I mean, looking at the report, centralized exchanges, I mean, take up the majority of the web traffic. And we don't talk about regulation first because each country is very nuanced in its 
regulatory framework at the moment. But if you look at, say, India, Indonesia, Philippines, Thailand, Vietnam, and Pakistan, compared to, say, like if you do decentralized exchanges, which called DEX, NFT exchange, peer-to-peer exchange, and also gaming, are we seeing more trading activity in crypto versus users actually doing actual transactions through other applications from your data so far? Yeah, we're seeing we're seeing a lot of DeFi activity, Web3 activity. Right now, it's still mostly on DEXs and maybe in lending and kind of still in the financialization space. If we look at just web traffic, centralized exchanges, even though DeFi captures about half of all volumes, a, a little bit less so during this, this particular bear market, the number, if you look at just the web traffic visits, centralized services are still by far the front runner in terms of the number of people going to these services. DeFi is still a little bit of a niche. It's much smaller. I want to say one, I, I don't want to quote the exact size here, but it's significantly smaller in terms of web traffic for from those going to centralized exchanges. Your, your, your average Joe, the person we've been talking about until now, is mostly represented on centralized services that have that fiat off-ramp or that have a little bit more straightforward, a little bit more established ties. Binance, for example, has worked really, really hard to be to get represented in many countries around the world that where cryptos face regulatory hurdles in, in establishing services. And DeFi just has not had this it, it needs behind it's a few years behind. And you know, that's that's gonna we'll see how that plays out. And so within that, Web3 app plugins and whatnot is a subset of a subset of that mm. DeFi. So it's it's growing and it's popular and we're seeing a lot of activity. But I'm going to have to say again, this is also regionally specific. So mm. one thing that's really going to bring people into the next generation of crypto users is that next killer app. And we saw that with Axie in the Philippines. And we saw that with there was a really popular cricket NFT in mm. India. And so these ha- these bring on people in kind of a network effects kind of way. And so to and is very region specific. So we're going to have to see what the next kind of killer app is in certain hotspots around the world. So, you know, we're in a bear market, which means we're heads down and build. So maybe that will come next. One of the interesting things I thought in the Asia region is that we have Animoca brands, which is a pivotal Hong Kong company that owns a lot of specific in sand, the sandbox, a lot of gaming apps in the region, including Sky Mavis, which is the parent company of XC Infinity. I also have Alexander Larson on my show and also Gabby Dizon from Yugu Games, Games in Philippines. So one thing I'm quite curious is how did like the XC Infinity phenomenon influence the crypto adoption in the Philippines? And the question now is ever since the sort of downturn of crypto last year, but the activity is still increasing within the region. It seems that it's growing, even from what I've been looking at the on-chain data itself. Well, if you think about it like this, a person who's uninterested in crypto, all of a sudden there is this really popular app like Axie, and they download a wallet and they learn about crypto as a result. So Axie doesn't work out. There's the hack. But you have this whole cohort of people who are now onboarded into the crypto space and might be more open to maybe trading or finding maybe uh, moving into another app. So 
having these killer apps works to onboard the next cohort of individuals that would not have otherwise come into the space based on the the merits of crypto alone. So they need that kind of killer app. So Axie was, even though it, it had that tragic ending, it really successfully onboarded and made a whole cohort of of millions of people, or I don't know how many people, literate in cryptocurrency in the mm. region. So that is still continuing to this day. Mm. This new cohort of people who's onboarded, who has maybe crypto funds somewhere, who knows how to transact with a cryptocurrency wallet. And so with Axie in particular, that was the real beauty of what happened there. And we saw we see that with other kind of killer apps where people come on to crypto for the app and not for crypto. And then they're they're onboarded and and then they can kind of continue. And we are seeing continued adoption in the Philippines in particular. It's a top adopter in spite of what's happened. And yeah, I think that's that's a, that's an important reason why. It also helps that SkyMavis has actually onboarded more games into the Ronin chain. They also have changed the X Infinity game mechanics now, like land staking. I think there's a lot more differentiation than it was in the last version that crashed and also the hack as well. But I'm quite curious, like, how would you see, say, a country like Philippines where they suddenly adopted something like Axie Infinity? I think it's the same with Vietnam and Thailand. In those regions where now you have guilds of players, do you think that that will actually drive more of this crypto gaming that's ongoing? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It will will make people just more crypto fluent. I think there's a psychological barrier that people have when they're thinking about getting into crypto. People overthink crypto. It's really it's it's an asset that happens to be settled on on a new type of technology and has all of these major features that make it more liquid and fungible. But in reality, it's not re it's not reinventing money or assets or anything it's just so people kind of have this this barrier to entry and once they kind of overcome that and get familiar with some of the concepts i think that it becomes much easier for them to engage in the space and so i think that the what happened in those regions acted as a facilitator to get people more comfortable in the space the other part that came out from the report, which I thought was interesting, was Pakistan. It's a, it's a, it's a country that I, I don't have a lot of, sort of a point of view in terms of the crypto adoption. And I saw in, in your report that you talk quite extensively about it. Can you talk about some of the primary drivers that is getting a lot of crypto adoption in Pakistan? And what is pushing people toward cryptocurrency there? That's a great question. So informal markets are really prevalent in Pakistan. Currency depreciation issues, government regulation. But crucially, what actually happened in Pakistan is is somewhat similar to what we've been talking about. I'll give you an example of kind of what happened. There wasn't the killer app, but there was the kind of the killer influencer. Mm. And someone, a, a really big celebrity in Pakistan, took on crypto as their kind of passion and and tweeted about it a lot was an influencer about about it got into mining really drew awareness to cryptocurrency and brought that brought the concept of cryptocurrency to as a household kind of conversation and point of interest so you have that that cultural event in this case that kind of acted as a stimulus 
And and so we saw that happening. But right now there's it's it's investment, it's trading, it's people seeking yield, it's informal markets, it's OTC activity, it's trading, and it's kind of more in that domain than the DeFi space or the commercial space. And stable coins is actually is it much more influential in the Pakistan crypto landscape then? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We see high we see high stablecoin adoption in Pakistan. But also kind of what you were talking about before, we see high stablecoin adoption around the world. It's capturing a more, a larger and larger market share of all crypto activity. So if you break down the crypto share of activity by asset, the mm. share that is going to stablecoin is just c- continuing to, to rise. The actual, the number of active wallets storing stablecoin is actually on the rise even through the bear market. And so... People are seeing stablecoins now as a safe bridge to the to a stable store of value like the US dollar. A few years ago, if you were still in the crypto space, you know that everyone was, is Tether backed? Is it not backed? Is are these and people have warmed up. People have realized that hey, they're publishing their reserve. They're they are stable store of value. And mm. trusting, trusting this more. And that's kind of permeating into the into the domain, to the public. Do you think stablecoin is the killer app for crypto? Oh, I, I'm really, really profoundly interested in, 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 in there's so much philosophically happening with stablecoin. What does this mean for the hmm. M1, the monetary supply of the US dollar? What does this mean for the US dollar as a currency reserve? What There's so many really complex implications of the rise of stablecoins that I can't work through, you know, on my own, but it's definitely... <laughs> It's it's definitely really interesting. Despite thing. the regulatory challenge, but never mind, we won't get to the US side. <laughs> but I want to talk about India because sure. this is one of the really interesting things because I'm familiar with the India market and it actually puts a lot of restrictions in NFTs or even tokens. But it is it's actually very surprising that from your report is that India has actually emerged to be a top cryptocurrency market. Despite all the regulatory challenges, I mean, if you think about Hong Kong, Singapore, Dubai, you know, that these are all hubs where, you know, all the regulation is really favoring cryptocurrency. But India is, well, they haven't really clarified where their stance on crypto, but it's now the top cryptocurrency market. So what is happening in India then? Yeah, it's a it's a good question. Well, the I think the first most important thing is this duration of the time period studied is 12 months ending July 2023. So it's capturing a large chunk of 2022, which I believe was before some of these policies came into play. Mm. If I'm understanding, I think that some of the tax stuff is coming up recently. Yep. Correct. Yeah. So it would not have been captured in the data. There's a whole line of thinking that crypto bans don't work and they are not effective at stopping activity. And so I think in practice, it's it's not yes or no crypto bans work or crypto bans don't work. It's more complicated and mm. would require a lot more thinking through. But also there is a little component of even if you of people are still able to freely engage in crypto no matter what. Mm. I don't know if that's what's happening in India. I do think probably mostly what's happening is that the study was before a lot of these came into effect. But who knows? I mean, maybe we'll be seeing this India as a leader throughout. We've seen a really, really strong interest in crypto in India across many different 
sectors. We've seen we've seen casual traders. We've seen people in NFTs. We've seen DeFi. India is really interesting because it's one of the few places where you see genuinely every type of crypto activity basically represented. You see the innovators, you see the tech, you see the developers, you see the investors, you see the international commerce, you see all of these things kind of president president once, which to be at the top of the index, you've got to have strong adoption across every single submetric on the index, peer-to-peer trading, centralized trading, retail trading, DeFi trading, and India is certainly strong in all of those. And and which is surprising because Japan and Korea is also supposedly very, very high crypto adoption. But from what you're telling me now is that India is kind of topping because of all the different use cases that you have seen that's on the book. Could, would it be due to something like, for example, polygons from India? The polygon blockchain is there. And I think Solana has a, has a pretty big developer activity going on in India itself. I think that's a really good observation and likely does have an impact on this. It's not to say that Japan doesn't have strong adoption. Just because one country is higher on the index doesn't mean that a country that doesn't have a really strong market as well, because we take into consideration things like population and purchasing power. But I do know that Japan kind of resembles global markets a little bit more and might have been a little bit more susceptible to the bear market than than India was. But it's really interesting. And, and we do still see strong adoption across kind of a lot of countries in, in Eastern Asia. Mm. Just a penultimate question before my closing one. But I, I'm quite curious, like based on all the regulatory opening this year, like Hong Kong is really open now. And then I think Japan is going to release their stablecoin regulation, Singapore, is already there and Dubai. If you look at the entire uh, Asia Pacific as a whole, does the opening of being so friendly to crypto or maybe regulatory being favorable to crypto or Web3, is it going to increase the adoption much more than maybe the developed markets? Maybe the usage is really in the emerging markets or just to get your sense of how this is going to be in the next year or so. Maybe US will eventually have their own regulation as well. I, I It absolutely does have an impact. And I can give you an example of how. We talk a lot to institutional investors who are in a wait and see mode. They are wanting to invest in crypto, but they don't want to without regulatory clarity. And so once you have that clarity, it kind of opens the floodgates for people to comfortably be able to invest. So a lot of people, a lot of particularly financial institutions who are really beholden to regulatory and compliance obligations are not going to take on a risk unless there's clarity around that, around what they're doing. And so to the extent that maybe they invest on behalf of retail users, we're talking a snowballing effects of people who will be impacted by these changes in regulations. Now, dependent on how strong the financial interest is in the country to invest in crypto and depends on the exact form of the regulations and how clear they are and what they allow and all and all that stuff. But typically what people are looking for is just simple clarity on what they're allowed to do and what they're not allowed to do. So which comes to my traditional closing question, what does great look like for the global crypto index for chain analysis in the next few years then? What does success means for you? Yeah. 
when, when I look at the index and I look at how countries are performing, it's not so much. It's really about seeing how countries are performing relative to each other. So having like one country at the top of the index over another is not really something I'm mm. going for. I'm really interested in just shedding light on the reality of the situation just because of the fact that people don't will go to India and say and people say exactly what you said. I thought that there was no crypto activity because of the regulations. And so we're really interested in just setting a baseline for what's happening. But in terms of success for the industry, I would say that what we really what we really want to see is the continuation of this sustainable growth over time. So it's not the headline major story of like there was a billionaire that invested or a major hack, but we like to see sustained growth over time at, you know, a, a very marginal level that's sustainable. We don't care so much about the bubbles in global adoption. So the 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 10x growth in one month, we care more about that sustainable growth that's going to be able to last in the long run. And so that's what I typically like to see. Mm. And I will continue to have that conversation and hopefully hear from you again next year. And let's see what the global Absolutely. crypto index is going to look like. So Kim, many thanks for coming on the show and sharing what the current crypto activity is really going on in Asia. But in closing, I have two quick questions. My first one, any recommendations that have inspired you recently? I always follow what Vitalik is doing. And he always puts out really interesting papers that are thought provoking and that are very neutral and smart. And he recently put out a paper with our chief scientist about what a safe anonymous mixer might look like. Yep. So his white papers, whenever he drops them, are always things that are of public interest and are of public good. And he's kind of like the the intellectual who's thinking through some of these more game theory issues facing the industry. So I think he's a really important person to follow. Mm. You're referring to the privacy pools paper, which I actually have read as well. Oh, yeah, just like exactly. you, as a as a my past life as a theoretical physicist, I like the game theory, economics, and the math in crypto. Yeah, very that was cool. how I got me into the. That's how it got me in, in, into the space since two thousand eleven. So, how can my audience find you? You can. Well, I put out all the research on the Chainalysis blog. I highly recommend following our blog. We also have Twitter and LinkedIn and and I think Telegram now. So just follow us on Chainalysis. I put out everything under the under the Chainalysis name. Mm. And I'll put it in the show notes as well. And many thanks for coming on the show. And you can definitely find this podcast on YouTube and any podcast platform out there. Follow us on Twitter, Analyze Asia, A-N-A-L-Y-S-E Asia. And of course, subscribe to our newsletter. So Kim, many thanks for coming on the show. And I look forward to speak to you soon. Thank you so much for having me. 